One of my favorite quotes of all time comes from Theodore Roosevelt, 26th President of the United States of America, in which he said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause, who, at the best, knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who, at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. I think this is a great statement. I think it drives right at the point of, of success and achievement in our world, and I think it's, it's wonderful as far as it goes. Here in this quote, Roosevelt is talking about how to achieve honor and glory. And when we think about achieving glory and honor, we sometimes think about being among the greats like the President, Theodore Roosevelt, men of great words and men of great deeds who have accomplished amazing things in the face of the world and therefore, in a certain sense, have achieved a certain kind of immortality. Roosevelt's been dead for a long time, and yet he still lives through quotes like this. And so some of us are seeking for glory and honor and immortality. And through the very means that Mr. Roosevelt speaks about, and through other means. Are you aware that Paul actually talks about seeking for glory and honor and immortality? Let me make sure we get that right. Not immorality, immortality. Interestingly, I think what we would probably expect is for him to say, oh, that's bad. You shouldn't be seeking for glory and honor and immortality. But in fact, that's not what he says. He does tell us that we should seek for glory and honor and immortality. We should just not do it the way the worldly does it. We should do it differently. In fact, in Romans chapter 2, Paul talks about seeking for glory. And he says, beginning in verse 6 of Romans chapter 2, that God will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Paul doesn't say that it's wrong for us to seek for glory and honor and immortality. He says, however, that if we do that, we need to do it properly. We need to do it in a godly way. I'd like for us to take a look at the way the world seeks for glory and the way the child of God seeks for glory and then why it works that way. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up and praise your name. We thank you because you have given us every good and perfect gift. You have bestowed upon us this day of life. You've given us opportunity to meet with your children so that we can worship you and build one another up. And we pray that's what we've accomplished today and what we'll accomplish in the further part of this hour. We're thankful for your love and mercy that allows us to be a part of your plan. And we ask that you help us to lift up your love to the world, that they might see you as you are, that they might see you in us, 
that they might want to be like us and become a part of your family. Father, we praise and thank you, and we ask that you help us to seek for glory and honor and immortality in the way that is pleasing to you so that we might receive eternal life when this life is over. Thank you so much for loving us, Father. We love you. Through your Son's name we pray. Amen. Before we take a look at how we're supposed to be seeking for glory and honor and immortality, I think it's important for us to notice how the world we seek for glory and honor and immortality. Paul uses two different terms to describe what they do. The first is they are self-seeking. Your translation may say contentious. This is the same word that's used in a couple of different passages that I think give us an understanding of the meaning. In Philippians chapter 2, we find the same word used. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, Do nothing from rivalry. Your translation may say strife or it may say selfishness. Do nothing from rivalry. Or, in James chapter 3, James chapter 3, James uses the same word in James chapter 3 and verse 14 where he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Selfish ambition. Your translation may say strife, or once again, selfishness. This idea of this contentiousness, this selfish ambition, this striving actually had an extra-biblical, that is, outside of the Bible, the same word was used in some of the ancient literature, and the way it was used in that literature was to refer to a self-seeking pursuit of political office through unfair means. That's how it was used in in extra-biblical literature. I think Aristotle used this word, and that's what he meant, a self-seeking pursuit of political office through unfair means. It's the idea of, I'm going to climb to the top. I'm putting myself forward. I want everybody to see me. I want them to know how good I am. And I don't care who I have to climb on or step on. I don't care who I knock down the ladder on my way up. I don't care whose neck I have to step on to get to the top. This is all about me. I'm seeking my glory. And I'm trying to put myself forward so that everybody can see number one. And that's me. I'm great. And everybody else needs to know it. That's what Paul's talking about here. That type of political mindset that is contentious because the only thing that it'll ever be happy with is when everybody else wants to do everything exactly the way I want it done. Self-seeking political pursuits. There are actually even religious people that have this very same problem. Jesus rebuked many of these in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus said of the Pharisees, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There are some folks that even when they're doing what we would call righteousness, when they're performing good deeds, they're not doing it out of service to God. They're not doing it because they're trying to help somebody else. They're doing it because they want to put a big neon sign up that says, Hey, look at me. Don't you wish you were as good as I am? They're trying to climb, perhaps not the ladder of material success, but the ladder of spiritual success, so that everyone else might know how righteous they are. Paul says this is the way the worldly seek for glory and honor and immortality. They put themselves out in the spotlight as if all the world is all about them. And they want everybody else to know it as well. But that's not the only thing he deals with. He says not only are they self-seeking, but they obey unrighteousness. Instead of obeying the truth, They obey unrighteousness. Paul actually goes into this topic in depth in Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. 
And this is a rather lengthy reading here, so I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 1 with me and make sure you're reading along, because we're going to be reading about 14 or 15 verses here. In Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, Paul wrote, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, Heartless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Here in this dissertation about obeying unrighteousness, Paul talks about the fact that they suppress the truth. Instead of looking at the truth of God and His will, they follow their own passions and their own pleasures, the unrighteous, immoral things of this world. That's what they're pursuing because they want the pleasures. They want those enjoyments. They want to fulfill those lusts. And what God says is He gives himself, He gives them up to that if they want to pursue that course. How are they seeking for glory and honor and immortality? They're going for everything this world has to offer. And of course, it will come up short. Instead of worshiping and honoring the Creator, they end up worshiping and honoring the creature. And in fact, end up worshiping and honoring themselves as they lift to deity the birds and beasts and men around them, acting as though they are on the same level as the divine. In the end, they end up only serving and honoring themselves instead of God. And I thought it was interesting as I considered this passage. Notice how it starts. It doesn't start by being wholesale into evil. It simply starts by not obeying the truth, but obeying unrighteousness. It simply starts with a minor deviation away from the will of God to do what is unrighteous. But where does it end? In time, it finally comes to where God has given them up and they're actually committing what most men of all time have considered the ultimate of immorality, committing homosexual immorality. And I can't help but notice what's going on in our own world today. How many churches years ago started taking the path away from righteousness, and now what do we see even in churches in America today? Those who ceased to obey the truth, but allowed unrighteousness, even now, 
they argue how this passage alone says that it's really okay to be involved in homosexual sin. We see this exact same process taking place around us. And where does it begin? Not by going wholesale into sin immediately, but by inching our way along through obeying unrighteousness. And of course, when they turn to unrighteousness, they gain glory and honor from the world, don't they? The world likes that. But they don't gain any glory and honor and immortality from God. So Paul points out that the worldly, they seek for glory and honor and immortality through self-seeking and through obeying unrighteousness. But what do the godly do? The godly, the children of God, what do they do to seek for glory and honor and immortality? In this text, I think we find three keys for them. The very first key is well-doing or doing good. We need to understand that Jesus Christ didn't die and wasn't raised just so we could bask in His forgiveness. Jesus Christ died and was raised so that our sins could be forgiven so that we might go about doing good. He didn't die so that we could gather in our holy huddle talking about what is good. He died so that we as individuals could go out and do good. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, talking about being born again in Christ, talking about being raised from the death, dead spiritually, he says in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. Walk in them. Why has God recreated us in Christ? Not just so we can be forgiven. Not just so all our bad deeds can be wiped off of our slate. God has recreated us for good works. Titus chapter 2. Paul deals again in depth with this. In Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul said, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. But I want you to notice it doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't say that Jesus did this just so he could have his own little holy possession. Notice what he goes on to say. He redeemed us from our lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's why Jesus died. So that you and I can be busy doing good. We've already heard of a couple of opportunities for us this week. Tomorrow we can help out Highland. Next Saturday we can help out Troy and Nisi. And you know, the, the thing that we need to make sure that we don't do is that we get so caught up in all the things of this life and all of our pursuits that we forget that God saved us so we can do good for other people. So we can do good for Him. How is it that the godly seek for glory and honor and immortality? They do it by being a servant, by being somebody who does good things for other people, who do, who do good things for God. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, 
Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, the ungodly, they seek for glory and honor and immortality by seeking things for themselves. The godly seek for glory and honor and immortality by spending themselves for others. That's how we as children of God seek for glory and honor and immortality. By doing good. As much as we can, for whoever we can, to the best that we can. But that's not all he says. As he talked about what the ungodly do, he pointed out something that they actually didn't do. And by pointing that out, he says, here's what we'll do. See, the ungodly did not obey the truth. But those who want to seek for glory and honor and immortality in a godly way, they're going to obey the truth. And I think this is important for us to understand. The truth is not just some subjective entity out there telling us that God loves us. The truth is an objective standard which we are supposed to obey. The truth has been given to us so that we might learn it and understand it and follow it. And those who want glory and honor and immortality, they're going to get into the Word of God and learn the truth so that they can obey the truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 6, it says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You see, this is part of love. The love that we're supposed to have for God, the love that we're supposed to have for others, rejoices with the truth. Seeking the truth and, and seeing that the truth is followed and obeyed is an integral part of the love that governs what we do if we're serving the Lord. Think about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul there says that the, that the lawless one by the activity of Satan with all power, all signs and wonders, in verse 10, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Refuse to love the truth. Love of the truth is a part of salvation. Pursuing the truth is a part of salvation. And Paul says to us, if we want to seek for glory and honor and immortality, we need to pursue truth and obey that truth. Sadly, in our world today, many folks are acting like truth is unattainable. They act like the fact that, that you and I could be wrong and we could be. I know we could be. I, I, listen, I believe that everything I believe is the truth. Don't you? Anybody here believe that there's something they believe that's not the truth? I, of course not. I mean, if we thought it wasn't the truth, we'd believe something else, wouldn't we? We all think we believe the truth. Every person you ever talk to thinks they believe the truth. But we don't all believe the same thing on every single thing, do we? I mean, some of us are just wrong. I, I know that, and it could be me. But the fact that I could be wrong doesn't suddenly mean that I say, oh, there's no standard, we don't have to worry about it, we can do whatever we want. Folks today are acting like the fact that because there's multiple opinions and a lot of people that believe a lot of different things, that, oh, we just can't know what truth is, so we shouldn't worry about it, we should just, you know, just say that God loves us and everything's okay. But what Paul points out is there is a truth. And our job is to obey the truth. And what does that mean? That means we need to be seeking for the truth and growing in the truth. That may mean that I have to change something tomorrow as I continue to study my Bible. 
I know that. But we can't use this as an excuse to maintain immaturity and division. We have to understand that God has provided the truth, and He's provided in a way that we can understand. Otherwise, He wouldn't tell us to obey it. By the mere fact that He says, obey the truth, God is saying, I've given you a truth that you can't understand, that you can find. It may take time. We may have to grow. But this is what we need to do if we want to speak for glory and honor and immortality. Obey the truth. There's a third term that Paul uses here that I think we need to keep in mind, and that's patience. Patience. Through patience in well-doing. Look in Galatians chapter 6, this time verse 9. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. There Paul said, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I think what Paul is pointing out there is he understands that doing good all the time is somewhat tiresome especially when we're doing it for people who don't return the favor. Especially when we're doing it for people who actively return evil for our good. And sometimes we might get back and sit back in that kind of environment and and wonder, why do I keep doing this? You know, I keep trying to do good and, and, and I keep having all this trouble. People I know keep dying. People I know keep getting sick and I still lose my job. and All these things happen. And so sometimes we get tired of doing good. We grow impatient from doing good. And we feel like we can't see any good results coming out of it. But what Paul is saying is in the end, the good results will come. Be patient. Don't grow weary of doing good. Keep on doing good. In the end, we'll reap what we sow. And those who return evil for our good, if they do not repent, they will also reap what they sow. Paul says, be patient. Continue on. We need to remember, why is God allowing this world to continue on? Second Peter 3 and verse 9 says he's doing it because of his patience, wanting no one to perish but everyone to come to repentance. And so we need to be patient in our doing of good. We need to be patient in our obedience of truth. Because we recognize that God is waiting so that others can be saved, just like He waited so that we could be saved. So if we want to seek for glory and honor and immortality, how do we do it? We do it by being patient in well-doing and obedience of the truth. This is what God has asked of us. Why does this work? Why does it work that those who are self-seeking and obey unrighteousness don't really get glory and honor and immortality like they want? Why is it that those who do good and obey the truth patiently receive glory and honor and immortality? Paul says that it's because God gives to those who are patient and well-doing, He gives them eternal life. And those verses that follow, beginning in verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. What Paul is pointing out is that folks in the world don't really understand the realities of this existence. There are folks who act like all that there is is what we can see right now. Now, there's a lot of them who never say that. Oh, no, we believe in eternity. We believe in God and heaven and hell. But the way they live their lives demonstrates that that their concept of reality is limited by what they can see. But there really is a heaven. 
There really is a hell. There is a God who is going to judge us in the end. And His judgment matters far more than what any man will say about us or do for us. And we need to understand that. Because what good does it accomplish us if we gain the whole world but lose our own soul? What good do all the material goods of the world accomplish us if we here depart, I know you not, on the day of judgment? What good do the accolades and praises of men provide us if when we stand before God, we're going to hear His condemnation? No good at all. The only true glory is the glory that comes after this life when God allows us into heaven. The only true honor is when God honors His children and lifts them up to immortality by giving them eternal life. The only real immortality is eternal life. Because brethren, everything we do down here will eventually be forgotten at some point. Maybe if we accomplish some greatness, some dusty old professor of ancient literature and antiquities might remember our name. But what good will that do us? And Paul says the reason that works is because God shows no partiality. We're filled in a world of partiality. And I think perhaps we can recognize it here in our community. Let's face it, down here, where you live matters. The kind of house that you live in says something about you. The car that you drive, the clothes that you wear, the schools to which we send our children. If we dress nicely enough, if we have enough money, if we have a good enough job, if we rub elbows with the right people, if we come from the right stock, people down here will overlook things and they'll be partial to us. But God is impartial. God doesn't care who your parents were. God doesn't care what your house looks like. God doesn't care what kind of car you drive, what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of school you've been to. God doesn't care what company you're president of. God doesn't care if you're president of the United States. God doesn't care who you rub elbows with. God looks at what we do. And He judges us based upon our works. And whether or not we are patient in well-doing and obedient to the truth. That's what God looks for. And when we patiently do good and obey the truth, God will grant us glory and honor and immortality. And it won't matter if anybody else on earth knew who you were. It won't matter if anybody else on earth ever gave you an award. God will say, enter in, good and faithful servant. And that's all the glory and honor and immortality that any of us ever need.